Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to Outsports Podcast. It is almost the end of March. We have the Sweet 16 in the NCAA today. Uh, spring is already here, except in Denver they had a foot of snow yesterday. Um, and today we're going to be talking about something cold. Uh, bad uh, intro to our guest, Chris Hine, who's the Blackhawks beat writer for Chicago Tribune, who came out publicly last month. We'll have him on in a few minutes. And Sid, you are... Joining me, I assume this must be you on the other line. Gosh, I hope so. <laughs> I could never know if you're. I think you're connected, but until I hear your voice, I'll. I never know if you're actually there or not, or if I'm talking into a void. But, um, hey, we'll have Chris on in a few minutes. But uh, to start the show, I want to talk a bit about something that's the buzz of the NFL today. It's been reported uh, by a lot of news sites, including us. The report by Howard Balzer, who you met. Um, when you're in St. Louis with the Michael Sam thing, who said the yeah. Rams agreed in 2014 to draft Michael Sam on the condition that they not be subject to hard knocks. And um, right. <laughs> what is your what is your quick uh, take of that before we get Chris on? Uh, uh, I mean, uh, I, I find it hard to believe there was some quid pro quo. Uh, I don't think anybody ever believed that Michael Sam was going to be on hard knock. So, I mean, for the NFL to contact the Rams and, and, and promise that they won't be on hard knocks if they, if they draft Michael Sam, I think everyone pretty much assumed that whoever drafted Michael Sam wasn't going to be on hard knocks. I remember thinking that, um, you know, being asked that, well, you know, what if Michael Sam, what if they, what if they, what if they picked the Rams for hard knocks? And I would always say that's never going to happen. There's no, there's no way the NFL is going to pick that team for that show right now. And so I just, I, I, I think this is kind of blown out of proportion a little bit. I just, I think it was an assumption that everyone understood anyway. And I, I, I just, I, I have no idea if there was some secret meeting, but I'm sure there were lots of conversations. I just don't think this impacted Michael Sam's draft status, the NFL making some weird promise about hard knocks. Yeah, I've always thought that there was something suspicious about the way Sam was drafted so late, and I don't doubt that there was some NFL pleading like uh, it would really help us if you can draft him. Except the hard knocks thing, if I had a guess, I guess it came after he drafted. He got drafted, and they probably said, okay, we're not going to put you on hard knocks because that just adds to whatever pressure you may perceive about this whole thing. Um, But I do think that – I do think that there was – it was oddly suspicious that he lasted that long in the draft and he went to a team that had extra draft picks because if he had not been drafted, 32 teams would have been asked about it for a long time about, are you going to pick Michael Sam up? Are you going to give him a free agent contract? you do all this stuff? And it was far better for them to get one team to draft him. But whether or not this was a quid pro quo directly for hard knocks seemed a little far-fetched that you would, in essence, say, We'll give him a draft choice just so he can't be on this TV show. It's not, I mean, it's not, that show is not like it's the most intrusive thing in history. I mean, teams have done it, and they've, you know, the Texans were on last year, and they made the playoffs, so coaches don't want well, any and, distractions, and, so they hate. And actually, his, history shows that 
the teams that go on hard knocks actually do better the following season. They're like almost every team yeah. that's been on it has improved the next season. So again, it you know this distraction nonsense that we hear over and over and over again, which I just I just don't buy whether it's regard to Michael Sam or 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 anything else that teams are somehow derailed by some bunch of TV cameras. I just I don't buy it. I never have and I never will. And um, yeah, the, the idea that. The, the Rams would draft a player to avoid hard knock. It just, it really seems over the top and, and highly unlikely. Yeah, and again, it's separate from whether or not there was some special pleading from you know Goodell or something to the owner at the end. But I, I do think that the, I mean the the whole thing it shows how still this story has has some legs still two years later because it was we're still dealing with no one else has come out since Michael, so we're still talking about someone who who is not in the league. Um, and I'm not even sure, you know, I know he's going to make another shot at it, but, you know, we'll see if he ever makes the league. But, um, you know, it also it also kind of points up, oh, Jeff Fisher today denied it vehemently. Of course, yeah. he's going to, but um, he said it was 100% correct. But the irony, of course, and I think that the, the link to there was that they're going to be doing hard knocks this year, which I'm not surprised at all. Yeah. The first year in L.A., it's actually a perfect time to put them on because they're moving to a new city. There'll be a lot more sort of inherent drama and all that. So, um, it'll be one that actually I usually don't watch those, but this might be actually one to watch. Is that on? Is that an HBO show, right? Yeah, yeah. I'll get HBO finally, so I can watch this thing. But uh, <laughs> and then while we're waiting for our well, guest to come on, you had a, a fun little item today about mixed martial arts being gay porn, and it was a, a statement by a politician in New York. Well, yeah, Danny O'Donnell is Rosie O'Donnell's older brother, and he's on the he's on the he's a, a, on the, in the New York State Assembly, and 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 they're talking about I guess MMA is illegal in New York, and they're talking about legalizing it, and I think they did they voted to legalize it, and uh, <laughs> yeah, so people he said that he finally watched MMA, it was like watching gay porn but with a different ending, and I've thought that for years that 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 MMA is is a way for Kind of an entree for guys to release their desire to just be with other guys and not necessarily have sex with other guys, but this this innate desire to it's part of the locker room lore to just be naked with other men. They they want that, and whether they're straight or they can be totally straight and still want that. So I, I I've always thought that. And when he saw it, I said I'll finally write something about it. <clears throat> Well, I mean, when you just look at how they dress, just that in and of itself is sort of very suggestive. They're really tight, sort of, I guess, almost like boxer, you know, bikini boxer kind of things. Um, so it's not uh, it's it's not far-fetched, and we know a lot of, uh, you know, I know a lot of gay men who are into MMA, totally. Um, and we're going to see is one of if our guest is on the line. Uh, Chris Hyen, are you into MMA? Uh, not especially. No, I'm not. Can't say I am. We have to revoke your game card. Um, <laughs> I don't know. There's something about it that just makes me squeamish, uh, to be honest with you. <laughs> oh, the blood? <laughs> the blood, the the strangling, the knocking somebody unconscious. I, uh, you know, it just doesn't uh, just doesn't really sit well with me, to be honest. You haven't watched Hockey's many Falcon Studio uh, <laughs> releases, then. <laughs> no. 
Thanks for having me on, by the way, guys. I really appreciate well, it. Well, actually, let me let's introduce our guest. Mm-hmm. The guest is Chris Hine. He is uh, the Blackhawks writer for the Chicago Tribune. And as I discovered yesterday, Chris and I practically were born in the same city. I mean, probably a couple miles apart in the Great Wyoming Valley in northeastern PA. Chris is from a place called West Pittston. I'm from uh, a place called Wooksbury and. Uh, I think the name of the great pizza place in West Pittston, Chris. Um, uh, give me some names. Sabatini's, uh, Sabatini's, Victory Pig, or Sabatini's. Yeah, that's an Exeter. That's a that's a that's a small yeah, town yeah, over uh, from it's me. Not too far. Yeah. So yeah, Sabatini's was always yeah. a classic one. And uh, yep. Every time I go home, I have to have some Sabatini's. It's basically a it's basically a must. Every time I visit the family, yeah. they know one of those nights we're getting Sabatini's. <laughs> At my place, it's Pizza Perfect out on Carverton Road. Yep. Oh, I, I remember. It's, it's pizza cut in squares. It's it's fantastic. Uh, it's yep. There's something about it. Can I'm we, not sure can why, speak, but it's like we've got to go to Pizza here? Perfect. <laughs> you know, I actually, well, I actually, there's not there's not a lot of things that uh, you know I like better about my hometown than I like here in Chicago. But pizza, I have to say, is one of them. I'm not a fan of deep dish Chicago pizza. I kind of long for the thin crust. East Coast style pizza I grew up on back in northeastern Pennsylvania. Boy, northeastern PA has re- has really good pizza, and I sort of I love mm-hmm. you know I'm a bit of a pizza aficionado, and there's something about I thought it was just that's where I was born. It's really it's good stuff. It rival you know it's very it's very New York style, but they have this. A lot of places have square pies where every where you you know they're cut in like rectangles, the slices as opposed to a slice, which is kind of funky. But and a lot of them times they're mm-hmm. pan fried. They're like they're oven fried as opposed to being totally baked, so it's totally different. Totally different taste. So after this, now I need to go out and get some pizza. So thanks for that. Boy, yeah, Sabatini <laughs> sounds good. So if we could uh, if, you know, ship some, uh, I'll I'll go give you half, and we'll give Sid a few Please slices. Do. <laughs> Please do. I don't well, eat pizza. <laughs> oh, you you'd have a piece of Sabatini's and you wouldn't go back. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, <laughs> Chris, we wanted to have you on because um, you wrote um, – why don't you tell us about your coming out column and the genesis of it? Um, I mean, the coming out publicly column, which is about sure. – actually um, March so, 8th in the Chicago Tribune. Yeah, about two weeks ago. So I read about the, the incident that happened at the NFL Combine uh, with Eli Apple and the Atlanta Falcons. And, you know, at first I, I didn't really – I didn't think too much of it. Uh, for, for those that might be unfamiliar, he was asked, Basically, the first question he was asked in, during his NFL Combine interview was, do you like men, by one of the uh, Falcons assistant coaches. And, you know, I saw the reporting of it, um, and I didn't, uh, but I didn't really see anybody kind of, of taking the NFL or the Falcons to, to task for why this question is such a, uh, such a homophobic one and why it's such a, a, a negative question to ask and, and the feelings that it can generate, you know, among uh, potentially gay athletes. Um, and after I got to thinking about it for a day or so, I, I decided, you know what, I think uh, I've been wanting to write about, um, you know, gay issues in sports for a while now. And, you know, the more I thought about this incident, the the, the angrier I became. And uh, I decided to open up my laptop one night and just start writing and see what came out. I wrote about half of, of the column that night. 
I, I went to bed, I slept on it, I woke up the next morning, because sometimes you write things really late at night that you think are, are good, and then you wake up the next morning and you're like, oh, I, uh, I, don't know if, I don't know if this is really that good. But I woke up the next morning, I reread what I wrote, I felt pretty good about it, and so I finished the column, sent it to some, uh, some trusted colleagues for their feedback, and, uh, you know, and uh, my paper wanted to make sure that I was comfortable, my editors, uh, that I was comfortable with doing this, that I was okay with it because they were all about running it. And um, when I told them, yes, this is, this is, uh, I feel comfortable doing this. It's been a long time coming and um, let's go ahead and do it. So, uh, so what, who are some of the, what are some of the stories that you had seen that you had, that really affected you that, um, you know, leading up to coming out that, that made you want to talk about it publicly? Um, obviously, I was uh, I was inspired by uh, you know Michael Sam, Jason Collins, Derek Gordon. I actually wrote a feature last year on Derek Gordon. I was uh, happy to get to do that um, when they played Notre Dame in basketball. I was covering Notre Dame at the time, um, but I, I guess the, the the one story that that really started to to get my ire going, and I, I don't know why I, I don't know why I didn't write about this then. But the whole Odell Beckham thing versus the Carolina Panthers, where he was uh, being called expletives and in you know uh, for for his Instagram videos and and this whole this whole story that's surrounding Odell Beckham and his masculinity and his sexuality and that kind of that kind of stoked the flames in me a little bit. But I didn't write about it. I guess I was too busy covering the covering the Blackhawks at the time. I still am covering the Blackhawks. But this time I was like, you know what? I'm just gonna I'm just gonna write something, see what comes out, and uh, you know, because I feel like I had something to say on the issue. So, what was the reaction to the column by readers, by anybody with the Blackhawks or fans, or what? The, what did you hear? Um, I've heard uh, nothing but uh, good things from from those associated with the Hawks in the days afterwards. Um, you know, m- most people on the Hawks haven't even brought it up. I've heard from a few people. And honestly, that's kind of the way I prefer it. Is that I just kind of want to be able to go about my job the way I the way I have before before I wrote this column. And so, in, in that way, nothing has changed. And I've heard, uh, not, but the few people that have said something to me have said nothing but good things. Um, you know, readers, uh, fellow journalists, uh, friends, people I knew from high school that I haven't talked to in a while. Um, you know, a lot of people reached out uh, to me after this column ran, and I would say 97, 98% of the response I received was, was positive and was, was very supportive, and, and I was really encouraged to see that. You know, you, you had the stray, uh, stray couple of, of people that told me, the, that felt the need to tell me that I'm going to hell when I die, and you know, <laughs> or being gay is a sin, blah, 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 you know, that, that whole uh that whole BS, but uh, you know, honestly, most of the and more than I more than I thought when I wrote the wrote the piece, um, I, I received uh, more positive feedback than I think I had anticipated. Well, what was it that? What did you anticipate? I mean, it's over and over again we see these stories of uh, such positive reactions, and over and over again we hear about this fear that people had in coming out. What did you anticipate? I guess I guess I anticipated a few more emails, a few more tweets at me, potentially, you know, saying that, you know, calling me names and, and things like that. I guess I was anticipating a little more of that. Maybe people disagreeing with me, not really understanding where I was coming from. I didn't even, I didn't even see a lot of those. Like um, I saw, I had a couple people say, I don't, I don't get why this is such a big deal still. And I tried to explain it to them in an email, but um, you know, 
I, I, I guess I, I was just I was just surprised. I was expecting a little more negative feedback or people disagreeing with me or or people saying, well, it's the NFL, this is the way it is, you know, you have to expect that, and things like that. But I, I didn't really hear I didn't really hear that. What about well, I guess the, the uh, question is well, so, but, so let me just follow up on that. What sure. it, it, it's amazing that we still live in a time when there is an assumption of negativity from in the sports world, and and you know at outsports, every story that we write has a I, with I can't think of a bad. I mean, I guess Dwight Slater with Stanford, you know, about 15 years ago, that did not end great. Um, but it's it's so difficult to find stories that end negatively, and and yet we still hear from people who expect this negativity in in a reaction. And do you have any thoughts on on how we can combat that? How, how, what message is not getting through to people? That's that's a good question, and I think uh, I was like I said, I was expecting more of a of, an, of a varied reaction, but I think more so. Um, uh, like when I told my parents that I, that I was writing this article, I, t- I called them up the night before and told them, Hey, something's coming out in the paper tomorrow. And you might want to, <laughs> I should probably tell you about this ahead of time. Um, I think it, I think it's sort of a generational thing too. You know, I think, um, you know, my parents were, were really concerned when I, when I, when I wrote this, like, how is this going to affect you? What kind of feedback are you going to get? What are the Blackhawks going to think? And I just think it, it has to do with generational attitudes that it's, you know, I, I'm 29 years old and people of my parents' generation, you know, they, they, they think a, a certain way when it comes to, when it comes to being gay or coming out of the closet. Um, I, I, I don't know that there's any magic solution to it. I just think over time, the expectation of, of a negative reaction is probably going to fade as, you know, as as young people get older, as as people come to accept gay, lesbian, transgendered, by questioning people more in their lives, um, I don't I don't know that there's a, a magic solution to that. Have you heard from any other media people who are themselves uh, LGBT, maybe not publicly out? Um, I've heard from a few on, on Facebook. Um, I, I don't think I've heard from anybody who is not out already. Um, oh, got it. I've heard from from I've heard from a few people that were that that are out or, or profess to be out. So I haven't heard from any other closeted um, uh, media personalities. No. Let's talk a bit about the sport you cover, which is hockey, which is the only mm-hmm. sport where there has still not yet been an openly gay even ex-player that anyone can speak to. We know Jason Collins and Billy Bean, a Sarah Toilo, Dave Copay, and, and the major, say the four major sports. Right. And we've had people on talking about the culture of hockey. Um, do you have any insight into why that even retired hockey players haven't uh, come out? I, I don't. I, I've only covered hockey for, for about a year now, full-time, and – and the the media access when it comes to the locker rooms and things like that can be so restrictive and uh, guarded, especially with the Blackhawks, that you don't really get a lot of uh, insight into their into their their inner workings and their inner culture. Um, I didn't play hockey, so I don't know what that culture is like. I played basketball and baseball growing up. Um, so as as I come to learn more, I, I, I'm wondering what what exactly it is like. But you look at you look at other other stances when it comes to hockey and 
there are some within hockey who have this old school mentality, you know, when it comes to things like fighting. And, you know, you see, even though modern uh, technology and, and medical advances have, have, have shown that, that fighting and hits to the head and things like that are, can, can really cause problems with players later in life, there's still that old school mentality of, you know, if a guy comes at me, you got to hit him. Or, or if a guy comes and hits one of my teammates, I'm going to go and fight him. That that sort of old school mentality still very much exists in hockey. And if there was ever any any lingering homophobia uh, in hockey or, or a culture of homophobia in hockey, then I, I find it hard to, to believe that that could also die out quickly and easily if there are other parts of, of hockey that – are, are clinging to the old guard as opposed to moving into the 21st century here. If that makes, if that makes sense. <laughs> well, but at the same time, we've had more pro hockey players speak publicly about being supportive of the gay teammates of the you can play program. than we've had probably about any other sport. I mean, at least 60 or 70, oh, we've maybe had that many NFL players since the Michael Sam thing, but <laughs> you have this sort of dichotomy where, Publicly, the league is, you know, very supportive. A lot of its star players, people like Sidney Crosby, Jonathan mm-hmm. Tay, uh, uh, you know, very, very supportive. And yet we still don't have anybody who's come out even after they've retired. So to me, I always find it a little bit puzzling. Yeah, it, it, again, I, I think I harken back to, to this being maybe a generational issue. You know, players that are in, in hockey now in their 20s, early 30s. But, but when you look at the people that are running hockey and the people that are making decisions on rosters, and, you know, it's sort of like the NFL. It's, it's people that are a generation older, and their views aren't quite what people in their 20s are right now. You know, polls, polls definitely show that. So, I, I, again, I do think it is a generational thing that, that you, might be, you might be seeing there as to why somebody might be afraid to come out, even if the captain of – of a team or, you know, a, a, a marquee player in the league is okay with it. I, I still think it's a, it's a very big step for them to, for them to make, even if, even if there are a lot of people preaching acceptance. But I don't think that speaks to the issue here. You know, again, no league has had more players proactively speak out in support of LGBT issues and having gay teammates. Uh, every team in the league has done a You Can Play video. The league's commissioner was one of the very first to speak out mm. on these issues. The league has a policy protecting right. uh, LGBT people. Okay, All of that. It is the only league that has not had any current or former or former athlete ever come out, and, and every other league has had at least two, and the NFL has had a dozen. So what is going on in hockey that that makes all of these efforts totally irrelevant? And there's just there is absolutely no there's just there's no result. I mean, we measure success in these things by how many people come out. If that's what you're trying mm-hmm. to do, create a more hospitable environment, then people should be coming out if you've succeeded. And if you aren't succeeding, then nobody will come out. So so. I understand all of these leagues have these generational issues, but the other leagues right. all have at least two. So what's going on in, in hockey? I don't know. That's, that's a very good question. You you guys are the experts on this. 
Um, I wouldn't. I also wouldn't say these efforts are irrelevant. Um, I, I would. I would definitely say they're very relevant, and it's good that the NHL has taken such such positive steps in that direction. But you know, I don't know. I don't know that it's necessarily statistics significant either. I mean, if we're only talking about like a, like two or three players in a given sport, that's really not a, a whole heck of a lot. It's not as if we're seeing waves of players, um, you know, in, in each sport or whether current or former coming out. So I don't know about the statistical significance of, of having one or two when it comes to that, but I, I don't know. I, I, I don't know why, why we haven't seen a, a current or former NHL player come out. It's maybe I'll start asking around and, and seeing uh, maybe if I can get some answers on that. Yeah, that'd be, I mean, to me, I think the the current player one is a dilemma all the leagues face. I think in some ways, for me, it's always got me the retired players. You thought at some point somebody retired would have come out. And I think that would be a good story to follow up on. I imagine that you don't have the kind of maybe day-to-day access you want where you can sit down with players. But I think over time, you probably could find time to sit down with players and just, you know, sort of the, the puzzle of what, you know, why why hockey still has been the only one lagging behind. Yeah, um, Hopefully, uh, maybe as I, as we go along here in the next couple of weeks, I'll start asking around, and or maybe this is a, you know, as, as the playoffs ramp up, the media coverage can be can be really intense. Uh, so I don't know that I'll that I'll get the uh, that I'll get the chance to to really sit down and, and have a good conversation with any any players on this issue, but it, I'll definitely put on my radar uh, in the coming weeks and months here. Well, definitely in the off season, you know, it's, it's tough after somebody, you know, wins or loses a game, you know, at a press conference to walk up to them and ask them <laughs> about uh, LGBT issues. <clears throat> but, but there, but we've found other opportunities. You know, uh, you, you're you're going to be at the NHL draft in June. Great opportunity to talk to people when there isn't a game that just happened or is happening. It's a great opportunity to talk about these kinds of issues. All star games. Um, uh, preseason things like that is that that's when to do it. So um, the off season and and the draft are, and annual meetings at the owners meetings those are all great times where we've found success talking to people about it. Well, hopefully, if I can convince my uh, my paper to send me to the owners meetings, that would be good. Um, <laughs> uh, we'll, we'll be going to the draft in June, but uh, I, I could probably ask people about that then, so long as the Blackhawks aren't busy making multiple trades, which has happened uh, in the past. Uh, you know, but we'll we'll find the time to, to do it definitely over the next few uh, few months, uh, weeks, and months here. So before we let you go, uh, the Blackhawks. Uh, I mean, they, they, what's their popularity in Chicago? Are they right behind the Cubs? Um, I would say, yeah. They're, they're, I think there's a, there's a hierarchy there. I think the Bulls are – or not the Bulls, but the Bears are are pretty much number one um, when it comes to interest and, you know, at least readership. Um, you know, we have three full-time Bears writers at the Chicago Tribune. We uh, we have one for the Bulls and the Blackhawks, Um and we have a, a, a second writer who covers both. Um, we have, I think, uh, let me do the math in my head really fast here. We have three full-time baseball writers. So, you know, if you just look at the way we staff our, our, our paper, I would say that the, that the Blackhawks are, are right are right there, uh, right behind the Cubs. They're, they're basically, I'd say, fairly even with the Bulls. But if the Bulls got really good again, I, I think the Bulls would probably – surge past them in popularity. Um, 
But winning three championships in six years can can do a lot to boost the uh, Q rating of well, a franchise. I was going to say that's um, the one team that's actually had success. That's the one team that's had success. Yeah. I mean, the Cubs were in the playoffs last year, but the Blackhawks have actually won it all three times in six years, and the Bears have been rel- relatively irrelevant for the last <laughs> number of years. But it's still the yeah, NFL. It's, it's still the NFL. That that's uh, that's the beast right now. You know, when it comes to media coverage and fan consumption of news, uh, you know, nothing beats the NFL right now. Um, but the Blackhawks, there is tremendous interest uh, in the Blackhawks. Um, you know, I when we see our web numbers, I'm always surprised by just how well Blackhawks stories uh, end up doing, whether it's breaking news or it's feature stories or, or things like that. And they sell out every game at the United Center, 21, 22,000 people there a night. You know, the TV ratings, when you see the TV ratings, especially during the playoffs, they're always really, really high, especially for the Chicago market. Um, so they're, they're, they're about as popular, you know, as almost as you can get in Chicago in the Chicago sports scene right now. And it wasn't that way just 10 years ago, but look at the, the change that's happened since then. Well, Chris, we want to thank you for being on the show. Uh, the cool thing about coming out publicly, only you have to do it once. I mean, <laughs> and you know you have you you you're the kind of person who can have an influence because you'll be there you know meeting and talking athletes even if you go on to another sport so and again if you check out Chris Hines column in the Chicago Tribune it ran on uh, March 8th and it was a wonderful piece and uh, I'll be going back to Wilkesbury this fall for a wedding and I'll have a slice of sapatinis in your honor uh, absolutely. Take a picture of it for me when uh, when you get yeah, there. We'll, <laughs> we'll do. All right. Well, thanks. <laughs> All right. Chris. Thanks, guys. Yep. See you later. Bye. Bye. All right, Sid. Um, I see you just posted something on Michael Sam also. So check out our Michael Sam coverage uh, with the draft. And it's still sad we have nobody to talk about. But the guy's been out of football for years, so maybe that'll change. Crazy. No one in no one in men's pro sports current or former have come out since Michael Sam came out. That's pretty crazy. Yep. Plus all the time we have for today, we will talk to you next week.